To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you, but first we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast 9 and 3 quarters, topic of the week is, is the Harry Potter series a feminist story? Hi listeners, I'm Ria. And I'm Jem, and today we're having a chat. (laughs) This is going to be a long and in-depth chat. Yeah, this is possibly going to be a two-parter episode. Probably. Probably. Yeah, it's going to be a two-parter episode. So basically, you know, some stuff's been happening lately, as everyone's aware, (laughs) and I just... So much. I snapped, and I decided, you know what, (laughs) we're going to talk about it full frontal. We're going to talk about... Every, like, aspect that I can think of, but smash it into two episodes (laughs) in terms of Harry Potter and feminism. I love that a few months ago we were like, we're going to keep things really light lately. We're not going to get too in-depth. We're not going to do controversial episodes because we want you guys to have a fun, silly time on this podcast. And that just deteriorated. (laughs) We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I got too mad. And I'm like, it's time to just... That's valid. I need to talk about this. <laughs> so, uh, how I wanted to talk about it was, I guess I wanted to talk about feminism in terms of the series on a meta level first, because there's a lot of things to discuss there. Okay. And then I, I think we should talk about mm-hmm. the characters. So, obviously, there's a lot of female characters in Harry Potter. Woo. Yeah. So many. So many. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna, still going to break it down into two different categories of uh, girls, so characters that we see as students in Hogwarts for at least the majority of their arc throughout the series, and then women, so mm-hmm. grown adult characters that are female. Yeah. And there's going to be different subcategories to that, like we'll touch a bit on evil ladies. We've had discussions about Umbridge and Queenie in the past. We'll touch a bit on um, mm-hmm. so the, the villain ladies, we'll touch a bit on like ladies that are younger women, like Tonks and Fleur, things like that. Um, and then the other category, which is mothers, <laughs> which is just all the others. Um, <laughs> yeah, mothers. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's I guess, uh, how we're going to approach this. And we're just going to sort of look at what what do we learn from, what does Harry Potter teach us about what it means to be a woman, I guess. God, such a weighty topic for a book series. <laughs> yeah, especially like a children's book series, but, you know... It's valid to research it, I think, because this is a, such a prolific book series and the the composer has made a reputation for herself and where she stands on what a woman is. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to discuss it. Oh, absolutely. To, yeah. And it's a totally valid conversation, I would say, even more in children's media than in adult media. Like, the representation mm-hmm. of women and what we can learn from them. Because much more so that in children's media... Characters become role models for children. That's true. Yeah. What we yeah. what we see of how female characters behave and how they're depicted influences like our real world perception of what women are and how they should behave and how we should treat them. Yeah. As we're growing up, that's where we get our ideas from. Yeah, and you know, we can say lots of things about how the media that we look at through this lens is a product of its time. Like, you know, we have to remember as we have these conversations that the books were written in the 90s, the movies are 2000s movies. Mm-hmm. Like, the media that we're getting now, like Steven Universe, God, if I was growing up with a show like that, whoo! 
I know. Amazing. Oh. Like, if I'd seen if I'd seen Shira Princesses of Power as a little girl, it would have revolutionized everything. I know. I would be very different. <laughs> Same. <sighs> but yeah, this is what we had when we were growing up. And so I think we yeah. need to discuss how Harry Potter has taught us what what Harry Potter taught us has, has taught us about womanhood, sorry. Yeah. That makes sense. Because now we're women and we have to deal with that. Um Yeah. Yeah. I'm barreling towards 30. <laughs> Ooh, 30, flirty, and thriving. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I oh, it, it's so spooky to be an adult. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. All right. So should we get started? Yeah. I I basically have like a very brief, a very light description of what feminism is. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today is and okay. like some of the concepts that I want to talk about I could intro that and then we could go into your ideas because I'm sure yours are much more in depth no no I forgot to define feminism so we should definitely start okay, with yours. Cool. <laughs> um so this is one that I've lifted like straight from the first line of wikipedia mm-hmm. feminism is a range of social movements political movements and ideologies that aim to define establish and achieve the political, economic, personal, and social equality of the sexes. I'm going to change that to genders at the end. Yeah, I would say genders as well. <laughs> like... Yeah, this is what it says on Wikipedia. <laughs> I guess what I mostly want to look at when I'm looking at the characters in the Harry Potter series is, in the fiction, are the characters empowered and do they have agency? And I'll talk mm-hmm. about those things. Are they treated equally to their male peers? And how do they treat other women? That's how I'm going to judge whether characters are feminist and whether certain character moments are feminist, even though that's such a huge question with so many multi-layers and, like, up to interpretation. This is how I'm going to look at it. That's way more structured than my approach. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. My approach was, like, I I, I have the character... I have their name written down. I'm like, what do I learn from this character about being a woman? And I just wrote like dot points or a paragraph depending on the character. And (laughs) what did I take away about their message of femininity or womanhood or whatever? (laughs) That's valid. You've probably got much more complex ideas. I'm sort of just like, how is this character compared to the boys? (laughs) Which is not great. No, no. It's just different ways of looking at it. (laughs) I'm just going to quickly talk about empowerment and agency and what I mean by those things, because that's the lens through which I'm trying to view whether they're feminist or not, even though it's just one lens to look at. Mm -hmm, So empowerment is having authority, power and strength and or confidence to control your own life and claim your own rights. So being empowered means being in control of your own life, aware of your own capabilities and limitations, and being able to choose your own path. And agency is acting independently and making free choices. And the reason why we talk about agency in the depiction of women in particular is because in stories and in real life, women are often reduced to objects and supporting Mm. roles for men. 
And we can compare this to women with agency because they are people who act in their own interest and according to their own desires and beliefs, mm. at least some of the time, <laughs> at least the, <laughs> hopefully the majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the aspects of what I'm looking at in this episode and okay. in these episodes, because it's going to be two. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like that. It's very, it, it brings us back to the fundamentals. So yeah. if I'm going off on a weird tangent, you can just bring us back to, okay, do they have agency? <laughs> are they empowered? Yeah. What are we looking at? Okay, good. Right. Should I, okay. So what I have done is I've asked the question of like, well, I've sort of done the investigation of what people have been saying for years about Harry Potter series and feminism. Mm -hmm. And I've written a little spiel, um, if you'd like to hear it. Okay. Yeah. So probably the commentary that you've heard the most about why Harry Potter is such a feminist series comes from down to one very important character, and that's Hermione Granger. Oh, I was going to just guess Ginny. Damn. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Hermione Granger has been voted the best female character of all time in a poll conducted by the Hollywood Reporter in 2016. She's universally loved, idolized for her promotion of elfish rights as a metaphor for being socially liberal and an advocate. Her hard work ethic and devotion to studies has turned her into a spearhead for intelligence and learning. In short, she's become an icon for nerds everywhere. Mm -hmm. Images and quotes by Hermione are used frequently by people demanding change in protests, as well as people in positions of power who mark Hermione as a character of great inspiration for them. There's been multiple writings and claims of how Hermione is possibly the most important and capable character in the series. And I can admit myself, as someone who was a young, smart girl at one point, I don't know what happened to her. um, (laughs) Where'd she go? And I found, like, lots of comfort in books and often struggled to make friends. Mm -hmm. Hermione had a big impact. Like, I think a lot of people can kind of relate. Yeah. Other feminist aspects of the series that have been pointed to frequently throughout the years is the equality of power in the series. Power in Harry Potter is granted via magical gifts and not decided through physical strength. As such, women are just as capable as men as defending themselves and being recognised for the powerful talents and skills. Mm-hmm. The inclusion of fierce warrior characters such as Ginny and Tonks, and of course the emphasis on powerful mothers whose love for their children trumps all evil, is notable as well. Yeah. And then, here we go, let's talk about J.K. Rowling. So, <laughs> last of all... The impact of the series' author cannot be overlooked. Throughout the late 90s, noughties, and then into the last decade, J.K. Rowling was lauded as a feminist champion, a woman and a mother whose world-changing story got herself and her family out of poverty, depression, and desperation, turning her into a multi-millionaire and one of the most famous authors in history. Rowling's impact on children's literature and the world of charity and advocacy was so immense that she has been attributed many times to creating an entire new generation of readers and activists for social justice. But things have changed, with good reason. So since J.K. Rowling's transphobia has come to light, the critical voices of those who have for a long time felt frustrated with a specific and exclusionary brand of progressiveness that Rowling had injected into her stories were lifted up. Some of these frustrations were things I'd noticed before, and some were aspects of the series I hadn't previously realised until they'd been put into words. Today I want to explore some of the insights into Rowling's portrayal of women in her series. These insights will include impressions I have of the characters, things I've learned from from them about womanhood, critiques and highlights of their representations. For each character, I'm going to focus primarily on one aspect of feminist discussion for literature and representation and ask, what does the character show us, I guess? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like your thesis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's been a while since I've written an essay, but I was getting back into the flow of it as I was typing, typing, typing away. (laughs) That sounded very (laughs) academic. (laughs) 
oh, bougie, oh. Oh, gosh, I should tone down the fucking academic voice then. <laughs> it It's just like, I've sat before and listened to you read out essays for me for, like, uni and stuff. And I was like, oh, we're, we're doing that again now for our podcast. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'll tone it down. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right, so should we get into discussion of the characters? Yeah, let's let's start let's with the characters. I think we should start with our main girl, yeah, Hermione. Hermione. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hermione. <laughs> oh, Hermione. One of the big criticisms I've seen of Hermione, I guess, mm. is the idea that she only exists as a support role for Harry and Ron. Trinity syndrome. Yeah, I think that is unjust and yeah. untrue. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. She just doesn't fit the Trinley syndrome trope. Like, yeah. she's not a sexualized object that gets overlooked. Her achievements are rewarded and she has her own agendas and her own strategies mm-hmm. that she pursues beyond Harry and Ron. Sure, she's more competent than them in lots of a- aspects, but not in every aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's some ways that they far surpass her, just as mm. in many ways she far surpasses them. Yeah. My... Hmm... How am I going to phrase this? My view of Hermione as a support role for Harry is, like, she only acts as a support role for Harry in the same sense that literally every character in the series mm. does, because mm. he's the main character. Yes. Like, they all exist to be support roles for Harry, because that's how you make a story work. Yeah. But I don't think that, like, you know, Ron's just Harry's best friend who never supports him, whereas Hermione's there loving mothering friend who just takes care of them and doesn't have her own life or her own agenda that's not accurate to Hermione at all I think that reading is in itself kind of sexist because I feel like Ron and Hermione like there's lots of supporting characters but Ron and Hermione are essentially the two supports that support Harry that's their roles like both of them equally do that absolutely (laughs) yeah and I feel like there's times when Hermione acts in her own interest Mm. And not in the best interests of Harry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have I have things to say about Hermione, um, which aren't so much about her role as like a support character for Harry or Ron or anyone else, but more about um, like so Hermione. Mm-hmm. She's our main female character, so her characterization is so important for how we understand the role of women in the series in general. Like mm-hmm. she's the main female character, so. What I think worth discussing with Hermione's character is the not like other girls trope that she kind of traps into. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about that. Mm. So JK Rowling expects us to believe that Hermione doesn't have any female friends besides, for some of the time, the sister of one of her best friends and eventual love interest. Hermione shares a dormitory with four other girls in her year. Two are Lavender and Poverty, who she doesn't seem to like, Mm -hmm. and the other two are never mentioned at all. Yeah. (laughs) So the way Hermione talks about Lavender and Poverty isn't like... pretty rough as well she belittles them for their interests and divination yeah she's insensitive to the feelings of lavender after her pet rabbit was killed by a fox like jesus christ she straight up calls (laughs) lavender a bimbo at one point like one could argue that hermione doesn't have much in common with poverty and lavender and this is why she's dismissive of them yet hermione has very little in common with harry and ron and they're her best friends in the world in fact when ron and harry are fighting with hermione she has no female companions to turn to and is just completely alone Mm -hmm. so I guess, just to bring my thesis home, what troubles me about this is that Hermione isn't just dismissive of poverty and lavender, but also of other women who have similar interests to those two. 
So Lavender and Poverty mm-hmm. are two girls who are definitely in touch with their feminine sides. They find value in social dynamics. They're both generally described as being interested in their looks and in dating boys. So throughout the series, Hermione's constantly critical of women who demonstrate romantic interests in men or are concerned about how they look. She bullies Fleur behind her back and calls her obtuse. She calls Pansy dim-witted and ugly. She insinuates that the girls mm-hmm. at school who are interested in crumb must be stupid and vapid. So yeah. a lot of this energy comes from the fact that Hermione is continually described by Rowling as plain. It's clear that Hermione doesn't hold a lot of value in physical attractiveness. She stands up for Eloise Midgen and Tonks when Ron states that they aren't particularly attractive, and this is great. But the problem lies mm-hmm. in this dismissiveness that Hermione tends to display towards pretty girls and their interests. Hermione is a character that brings up quite a bit that as the only girl in, in a group, group of friends, Ron and, Har- Ron and Harry must certainly put unfair expectations on her, and yet she does the same for other girls in her direct social group. So it's hypocritical and reeks of an energy of putting other girls down in order to feel better about herself and her own insecurities. In fact, she uses her insecurities about physical attractiveness as a weapon when she permanently scars Marietta Edgecombe's face and then smirks about it afterwards, saying that she won't be able to cover up that acne. So yikes yeah that's pretty rough yeah Hermione definitely has a lot of internalized misogyny Mm. where she thinks that she's better than other women because her pursuits are Mm. academic instead of what she sees as superficial and therefore judges other women and dismisses them and that's especially strange because academic pursuits are traditionally seen as male pursuits as well and so that's why she's friends with people like Ginny and Angelina and looks up to them because they pursue traditionally male things like sports as well it's like Mm, so it's not okay mm-hmm. to like makeup and social status and things like that because those are seen as feminine and frivolous and vapid and it's like yeah yeah she has such a such a weird attitude towards it as well like in fourth book when she goes with crumb to the mm. yule ball she hides it from everyone until the mm-hmm. last minute because obviously she's afraid of feeling Mm. vulnerable and then she makes a big deal out of the fact that like it's too much effort to do her hair every day and she couldn't possibly do that like really trying to divorce herself from that femininity yeah Mm. yeah yeah that's an unfortunate aspect of Miney's character she doesn't really uh, try to support or empower or lift up other women she instead really tries to cut them down yeah well she tries to support and empower other women who she deems to be like her, but not other women who she deems to be less than her because they're not smart, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like, she does not get... Like, if Fleur was bullied by someone, she would be joining in, like, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But if, you know, Ginny was being bullied by someone, she would stand up for her because she's judged Ginny as being worth her time. Yeah. Well, so, like, mm. just the Eloise Midgen thing. Like, Ron saying Eloise Midgen isn't attractive and Hermione standing up for her as she should, that's fine. But, like, mm-hmm. if it was an attractive girl who was being criticised for, let's say, oh, you know, she got a bad mark on a test, Hermione would be like, yes, yeah, because she's vapid and stupid and doesn't pay attention in class or something like that. I could yeah. see that happening. <laughs> like, maybe if she paid yeah. less attention to her eyeliner and more attention to her charms homework, she wouldn't have gotten that mark. Like, I could just mm-hmm. see that coming out of Hermione's mouth. Yeah, that's true. It's a very unfortunate aspect of Miney's characterization, but I also think it's a very mm. authentic oh, yeah. part of her characterization. Like, I definitely acted like this and believed things like this when I was younger. As, you know, the smart girl who's not particularly conventionally attractive, this is exactly what I believed and exactly how I acted. Mm. 
It's just a shame that it never really gets challenged. For me, not so much, because I've always thought I was cute. You are cute. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was smart, but I was also cute. So I didn't really have a problem with pretty girls. Mm -hmm. And so I I, I didn't like this aspect of Hermione when she said things like this. I'm like, hey, shut up. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, they're not hurting you just by existing. (laughs) Yeah. No, I definitely yeah. fell into this trap of being like, the girls who like makeup and boys and stuff are stupid and I'm better than them. I've since learned better. <laughs> I like other <laughs> girls now. <laughs> Maybe too much, some might say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't really, I keep trying to like yeah. defend it, but I can't. Um, it's not defensible. Yeah, this is a bad aspect of Money's characterization. Yeah. Mm. And I feel like it's something that's really glossed over, especially because fandom Hermione has become perfect yeah. in people's eyes. It's very much promoted by movie Hermione and Steve Clovis' push to make Hermione infallible, always looking perfect, always being perfect, never making any mistakes, top of her class, like always right. And so in the book, the book Hermione's kind of lost in that because book Hermione's not perfect at all. No. She, she has these attitudes of like, She's better than other girls for these reasons. She makes mistakes. She's misguided. Mm-hmm. She's stubborn and doesn't like understand other people's emotions. Yeah. Uh, she's so yeah. I, yeah. What's the right word? Emotion. She's emotionally cold towards other people to an extent that could be frightening. Like you said, permanently scarring mm. another girl mm. and like thinking that that was not only justifiable, but correct the right thing to do mm-hmm. and yeah the other example that you use was wanting to have a rational argument dismissing lavender's pain and upset over her pet because hermione's much more interested in proving that lavender is wrong to think that this was divined by trelawney yeah that's one of hermione's yeah. worst moments in my opinion <laughs> like lavender's crying over her pet bunny <laughs> honestly no class honey no class just leave it just leave it just be like sorry about that lavender that sucks and just leave it like no but she has to prove herself right she doesn't care about lavender's feelings she does not care she shares a room with lavender imagine how icy that was for the next few weeks oh god my god lavender providing those other two girls that she definitely knows but we never hear their names (laughs) yeah (sighs) something that yeah, it's a big yikes. It's very interesting. I had a very long conversation with one of my friends yesterday, and we talked about Hermione at length for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> she pops up. <laughs> yeah, she pops up. Like, all my conversations are about Harry Potter in some capacity. <laughs> we were talking about Hermione, and she was saying that, like, we were talking about the same sort of thing that I just said, growing up as the girl who's intelligent and dismisses other women. Um, because of internalized misogyny and she was talking about something that Hermione that she always found really authentic and really interesting is that like her crippling fatal flaw is her self-doubt and her Mm -hmm. anxiety she's always she always wants to like worry over her marks and stuff and never believes that Mm. she'll be the best until she actually gets the marks back and she is the best Mm. And, and even then, she's like, oh, I didn't get as good as Harry in Defense Against the Dark Arts. Like, yeah. Yeah. She remembers the one time that Harry got a better mark than her for years after it happened. <laughs> like, it's seared really into her cool. memory. Her greatest fear is McGonagall <laughs> yeah. telling her that she didn't do well enough. Yeah, that she's not good enough. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. She bases her entire worth on her intelligence. Yes. Oh, which is so unfortunate. Hermione, you're more than that. But also, I find that really interesting when you look at Hermione in terms of, like, the genius character. Like, Hermione's not a genius, but when you've got a character in a story who's supposed to be far more intelligent and far more competent than other people, Mm. when that character is male, they're usually defined by their arrogance and their Mm. ego and their sense that they are better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Whereas Hermione is often characterized by her insecurity and her Mm. fragility, even though she does think that she's better than everyone else. What's that called? It's the complex where like, you know that you're qualified, but you still doubt everything that you do. It's the, uh, it happens to women and POC. Um, oh, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, yeah. It happens to women and POC all the time in the workplace and, like, yeah. pursuing their ambitions. Yeah. Yeah, that's accurate. Compare Hermione to a character like Sherlock Holmes mm. or Tony Stark or something like that. Mm. Someone who believes they're better than everybody else because they can outthink anyone else in the room. Yeah. Hermione's not like that at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Right. Is there anything else you want to say about Hermione or...? I want to talk about if Hermione is treated equally to Harry and Ron in the series. Okay. I guess by the other characters in the series. I've seen criticisms Mm. of Hermione that, like, she has to be the best. The best at everything and so competent and so wonderful just to compete on the same level as two incredibly mediocre boys. Um... I think... That's incredibly unfair. First of all, the Harry, who's the chosen one and the most important boy in the entire universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because he doesn't get the best marks doesn't mean, like... Like, Hermione's up there with the chosen one. <laughs> yeah. But that feels like a drag on Ron. Sorry, Ron. I love you. <laughs> mm. Ron's great. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> but I... I never saw that, like... She has to be the best in order to be considered equal to the other two. No. I just don't think that's true. No. I mean, I'm trying to think of examples for that, but, like, I, I really don't see, like, maybe it's because of the way that she's her character's been inflated on a fandom level and on an international level, on a meta level, of, like, mm-hmm. Hermione's value. Like, oh, if Hermione, if the series was told from Hermione's perspective, it would be solved in one book. It's like, no one wouldn't. Yeah. But anyway. No um, one wouldn't. <laughs> where she's, like, her value is conflated so much to the fact that she's more competent than anyone else in the series, when that's not really the case. Maybe it's, like, the fandom's yeah. fault. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think um, so. Yeah. You do see you see so many like posts and hot takes that are like, oh, it should be called Hermione and the time I saved my two idiot friends. And it's like, that's just not accurate at all. Yeah, it's really not. Like, Hermione didn't stop Voldemort from getting the Philosopher's Stone and she couldn't have by herself. No. That's book one. Never mind the other seven. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it just, I always find those takes just very exhausting. It's just like, ah, oh, I just, I know that you're trying to like, do a hot take here but it's just it's just not accurate like Hermione's not perfect (laughs) she's not this goddess that she's been made out to be like Mm -hmm. and that's why she's great (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) because she's so flawed Mm. yeah Hermione falls apart whenever she is completely cut off from Harry and Ron in the third book when they're both mad at her and all she can do is go to Hagrid and cry because she doesn't have any sort of support system because she's rude to all of her female companions So yeah, I guess, yeah, I did see that take as well. And on the one hand, I kind of see what they were getting at in terms of how she's valued 
met on a meta level but in terms of in the books it just doesn't fit i think with what happens yeah yeah and I don't know. I don't think anyone in the books is looking at Harry, Ron, and Hermione and being like, ah, oh, Hermione can compete with the big boys yeah, no. <laughs> because she's so wonderful. Yeah. I think any of the teachers will be like, thank thank God you two lucky idiots have Hermione helping you. For exams, yeah. 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 Yeah, I just, I really, when I look at those three characters, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, I see how they complement one, one another and they have strengths in different areas mm. and they're just like a good unit. That's what I think of for them. I don't, like, I try not to see them as yeah. competitors because, like, it's just not worth the time. They're a team. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that's what they're written to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're supposed to be a trio. They're supposed to balance and support yeah, one exactly. another. It's stupid mm. trying to compare them. Okay, so is there anything else about Hermione mm. or? No, do we want to chat Ginny now? Okay, so here's my take on Ginny, if we want to start with that. Oh, no, wait, there's one more thing that I want to say about Hermione. Yeah, go <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It is completely revolutionary in the Harry Potter series that Hermione doesn't end up with Harry. Oh, yeah. That she, the main female character, is not also the love interest and an object of desire for the point of view character and the audience by extension yeah that's that is so revolutionary and that's why everything that happened later where it's like ron should have died harry and hermione otp yeah steve clovis all of that is so frustrating and reductionary yeah and just such a big step backwards yeah i 100 percent agree of course (laughs) yeah yeah. I actually, I can't think of any, another example where there's been a major series where there's one main female character and she isn't the love interest. Yeah. Even the best series in the world, Avatar Last Airbender, has that as well. Katara and Aang end up together. Spoiler alert for Avatar Last Airbender, yeah. if you're an American just discovering it now on Netflix. But yeah, that's what <laughs> happens. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I I literally, I'm, like, scrolling through my brain of everything I've listened to. Anything that has, like, one main primary female character, she is the love interest. Mm-hmm. Because women's primary function in stories is always to be desirable and yeah. to be romantically available to the hero. Yeah. And it's, like, I can't overstate how incredible it is that Hermione is not that for yeah, Harry. Yeah. It would have been even more revolutionary if she yeah. wasn't that for anyone. But, I mean, oh, this was 1990. Yeah. Like, this was the 90s. That was way too... <laughs> that would have been crazy <laughs> to say <laughs> in a publishing room. Yeah. Ooh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If she just had, like, either no romantic entanglements or her own romantic life that's completely separate from Harry yeah. and Ron, like, that would have been something else entirely. But we, we couldn't go that <laughs> no, far. No, 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 no. <laughs> We still got to keep it in the main trio. <laughs> yeah, part of the ship, part of the crew. <laughs> so, <laughs> that being said, okay, let's talk about part Ginny. Of the ship. Ginny. <laughs> okay, so when I think about Ginny, I what I get from her story, what I get from her character is I think about a survivor of abuse and assault. This is what Ginny is inherently a metaphor for, especially yes. in her early appearances throughout the series. Ginny's character is one whose innocence and softness was robbed from her before her time. In that way, there's a lot to celebrate about Ginny's transformation into a confident, charismatic, fierce young woman. Ginny is framed to us as a success story. This is what it looks like to go from victimized to victorious. What I would like to talk about with Ginny is the absence of her progress. So, 
I first realized this when I was listening to an episode from the podcast called The Women of Harry Potter about Ginny. So after Chamber of Secrets, we see very little of Ginny for basically three years. All we see are a few snippets yeah. of her popping in and out of rooms, dropping the occasional line and sometimes a joke here and there. Her impact in the story is mm-hmm. non-consequential until one very important conversation we see her have with Harry in which she gives him an enormous wake-up call to the fact that she, in fact, has some experience in the area of trauma and losing control of your mind and body to an absolute evil power. So mm-hmm. I guess what I'd like to say about her is that I'm unsure where I stand on her representation. So on the one hand, we don't have to bear witness to the doubtless struggling path Ginny took to recovery and healing and trust. It simply occurs that in one book she's a victim and then she's basically absent for a couple of years and then boom, here's a fully formed woman who is ready to fight for herself and for others. Not bearing witness to the vulnerability Mm -hmm. that Ginny felt and the learning and development that she surely had to go through to become that person almost creates an unrealistic expectation for surviving trauma. But then again, the series isn't about Ginny and perhaps glimpsing that struggle is exploitative. So I just don't know where I stand, if that makes sense. I think... That's a really hot take, and I think Ginny's journey isn't less because it doesn't take place on the page. Because yeah. like you said, it's it's not Ginny Weasley and the, I don't know, Prisoner of Azkaban or whatever. Yeah. It's not her story, and we don't get her perspective. Same as we don't get anyone's perspective other than Harry and, you know, like a brief glimpse into the life of the Muggle Prime Minister or whatever. <laughs> Harry and the Muggle Prime Minister. <laughs> That's it. Two most important characters. And Frank the Muggle, you know. (laughs) Random bystanders. (laughs) I don't think that Harry Potter is the medium for exploring Mm. that kind of journey of recovering from trauma. There are are stories that explore that and do it in depth, but, like, Harry doesn't even really do that in depth for his own trauma. It's not that kind of story. I mean, I have argued in the past that the fifth book is entirely about recovering from trauma. Yeah, <laughs> so, but it's not an like, mm, explicit on-the-page depiction. No. no, it's not. It's all metaphors it's, and yeah. symbols. And, it's Harry Potter yeah. and the Order, Order of the Phoenix, not Harry Potter and the time I learned to grow past my own traumatic experiences. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The fact that Ginny takes that journey and that we can extrapolate that from her character is still powerful and is still worthwhile mm. even if it's not taking place front and center. I agree. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's totally fair, especially like you said because the restrictions of the story. Mm. It's just my one itch with it is I, I'll bring it up more later, but I'll just touch on it now. We don't see this this development for Ginny, but we see it in like entirely for another character and she's completely dismissed for it. She's completely dismissed, belittled, and sidelined for what Ginny goes through off page, if that makes sense. Who's this? And that character's Cho Chang. Right. Right. Cho Chang exists. That storyline with her and Harry exists so that we can make Ginny look desirable, which is disgusting. And so that's why I've got a bit of an itchy issue with this absence of Ginny's struggle. Because if we, if Harry had been privy to Ginny's struggle, has seen it... He wouldn't have married her because he wouldn't have been interested in her because a woman doesn't have value if she goes through that on page, as we see with Cho. Right. That's really true. I know. Oh, wow. Sorry, you've really knocked me for a loop with that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Oh, yeah. 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 Hmm. That's true. 
There's more to unpack about that with Cho, which we'll get to when we start to talk about her later, but that is inherently what happened with the writing mm. of those two characters. They both went through really traumatic things. They both had they were both love interests for Harry. What what happened why things happened the way they did was just a matter of timing. You know, Ginny didn't start to become romantic a romantic interest for Harry or dating Harry when she was in her period of recovery and learning and healing. Yeah. Or grief. Cho was. And that was just luck of the hat. Part of what's desirable about Ginny is that she doesn't cry like Cho. No, Harry doesn't have to experience her period of vulnerability and fragility and clinginess. And mm. Ginny's dealt with all of that on her own and is now, you know, a strong, confident, capable woman by the time, well, not even woman, teenager, by the time that yeah. Harry has a romantic interest in her. Whereas when Cho needs those things from Harry, he's completely unable to provide them for her. And uninterested in doing that as well. He's very dismissive. And uninterested in yeah. doing so. Yeah. It's just a hypocritical thing that happens in the book that I just have issue with. It is. That's true. Mm. Yeah, that's an incredibly fair criticism. Something that I've never really thought about before. Yeah. I've never compared Ginny and Joe. Ginny and Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, my favourite character, Joe. Yeah. Um, and they're journeys that they're on and how harry plays a role in them mm. hmm. really makes you think it really makes you ponder the <laughs> way things could have been yeah. yeah yikes which is interesting because something that i've always like a tiny little moment that i've always found very interesting is in the seventh book when mm. harry ron and hermione come back to hogwarts to find the horcrux and do their final battle with voldemort and Harry's like, I need somebody to take mm. me to the Ravenclaw common room. And Cho straight away is like, I'll do it. But yeah. Ginny steps in and is like, no, Ginny, uh, not Ginny, Luna will do it. Yeah. And cuts Cho out of that interaction. Whereas Cho was obviously hoping to get some alone time with Harry. Mm. And that's really interesting to me. Yeah. I always saw that as Cho just genuinely trying to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think Cho <laughs> thought that like, if she takes Harry to the Ravenclaw this is common my room, yeah. yeah. Harry might fall in love with her. Like, obviously not. No, but maybe no. even she wanted a time to be like, you know, yeah. Um, I'm I'm sorry for the way that things ended up with us, and I'm glad to be here fighting this fight with you still. Like, yeah. you know, just a moment of like, let's acknowledge everything that we went through and where we are now as and let's move more on. adults yeah. than we were. Yeah. yeah. But she's denied that by Ginny mm. because of jealousy. And it's interesting that probably in her own journey... Cho is now where Ginny was yeah. when Ginny and Harry first got together. Yeah, it's it's just, that's something that, that I was thinking about and I'm like, I understand why we didn't see that part of Ginny, but I think primarily the reason that we didn't see it is because in that way Ginny couldn't be a love interest for Harry because she would have been too vulnerable and too weak and Harry's yeah. not into that. So, yeah, yikes. I would say that probably female characters in Harry Potter don't really get a chance to be vulnerable and still be seen as valuable. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Mm. Like, Hermione has her vulnerable moments where she cries or panics, but she's always, you know, she's always the brightest witch of her age. She, yeah. Like, you know, she's always seen as valuable mm-hmm. throughout the series. Like, that never loses its value. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, what did you want to say about Ginny? I was mostly positive about Ginny. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I love Ginny. I'm not. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. 
I just this is something about the writing of those characters in conjunction with one another that I just have a lot of issues with. Yeah, it's probably yeah. far more a criticism of Joe. Um, Joe, I keep saying Joe, um, Cho, and how she's depicted rather than how Ginny's depicted. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a criticism of Rowling's choice there because she yeah. made a clear choice mm-hmm. to exploit a POC woman like that <laughs> for that specific reason. She made a choice. Yeah. Uh, so I was talking about Ginny, like, in terms of does she act as a support role for Harry or does she act in her own interest? And I think that Ginny has a lot of independence and a lot of agency, especially for a love interest in a story like this. Obviously, her yeah her role in the story is made more complicated by the fact that she's a love interest for Harry. It's like, how much is she her own person? How much is she there to be mm-hmm. his eventual wife? <laughs> Which is gross. I like that Ginny has romantic and sexual to the extent that is depicted in a children's story independence from Harry and the fact that she pursues yeah. relationships because she wants them despite the mm. disapproval of her male family members. That's really good, especially for a like young that. girl in the 90s. Yeah, she was basically the only character to be like, my body, my choice, I do what I want, sexual liberation, as much as you can in a children's book series. Like that was yeah. what I got from her as well. But then there's kind of a weird dark side to that as well, where when Ginny and Harry do eventually get together, she has this moment where she's like, Hermione told me that I should stop being so obsessed with you and see other people. And then eventually you realize that you like me. It's that's not, I'm paraphrasing, but like, that's the sentiment of it. And like, that's really gross. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just weird that Rowling chose to put that in there because it means that Ginny was never independent and pursuing her own interests. She was always interested in Harry and waiting for Mm -hmm. him to grow up and realize that he liked her too, which is, it's, it's weird and it's predatory and it's needy and I don't like it. It would have been so easy to just not include that, you know, just edit that out, you know, just that doesn't need to be in there. Yeah. Because... (laughs) It's this weird reframing of things to be like, actually, Ginny always loved Harry and she was always true to her real love. Harry. Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's gross. I guess um, maybe Rowling's thought was, I want to justify Ginny, for better, for nobody use the word, sleeping around, I guess, mm-hmm. is what she, as, as if we're talking about it, like Ginny being independent with her romantic choices. I guess yeah. she didn't want to make Ginny seem like a slut, I suppose. is. I guess so. But with, that's yeah. so dumb, because that's so reductive, and, like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And I think it's also a way to be, like, to make, to reinforce that Ginny's relationship and her feelings with Harry are far more serious and more deep than her relationship with other men, which is a way of dismissing those other relationships and saying that they're, yeah. they don't have any value. Yeah. yeah, she never really loved Dean. She never really cared about him because deep down she always loved Harry, which is... Yikes. Yeah, yikes. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's something where, like, I don't know, she doesn't really have much agency there, which is weird because on the surface it looks like she does, but when you dig a little deeper it's got these weird undertones. Mm, yeah, I've never liked that moment either. I always thought it was odd to include that. Hmm. Yeah, it just makes Ginny seem just very much, you know, tunnel visioned on Harry. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was her only motivation for doing yeah. anything, which I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. 
from when she was 11 to 16, she's been obsessed with Harry, all about Harry, which is like, okay, that's what you want in a woman. (laughs) Perfect. Wife material. Yeah. Um, I do want to say a little bit more about how not in a not taking her out of the romantic light for a minute, a bit about how Ginny interacts with other women I like that she defends Luna Mm. and that she has this friendship with Luna and she goes to Hermione for advice. She has positive relationships Mm -hmm. with other females. That's good. Big fan of that. Except Fleur. Except Fleur. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got to talk about a criticism of Fleur. I'll bring that up in my Fleur section. And there's another really neat cliche dodge that I really like. Often when you see female characters who have non-feminine interests or strengths, like they're very sporty or they can fix a car or whatever, you mm. get the line, oh, I was taught by my brothers. And it's like, okay, cool. Yes, I hate, I hate that, that line. It's, yeah. it's so gross. It's like women can't be competent unless they have men teaching them how and protecting them and blah, blah, blah. It's just this gross, stupid idea. But I yeah. really like that Ginny is this incredible Quidditch player and she didn't learn that from her brothers she learned in spite of her brothers because her brothers locked her out of the broom shed and refused to let her play and she broke in there and did it herself that's great that's such a good trope subversion yeah because it's which is from what i've learned about having a brother way more accurate (laughs) to having a brother (laughs) than oh you're my little sister i'm going to teach you how to fix cars and play football (laughs) more like i'm going to put you in the washing machine and put turn it on like jesus (laughs) i've never had a brother this is just what i've learned from my two best friends in the world who both have brothers Um, put you in the washing machine (laughs) classic brother move I'm going to tell you, hey, come into my room, and then you stand in the threshold, and I jump on you and <laughs> fart on you. <laughs> yeah, that seems yeah. like a brother move. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that little dodge there, because it would be incredibly easy to be like, Ginny's so fierce and independent because she learned it from her many, many brothers, but cliche dodge, no, she did it on her own, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. She takes after Molly, definitely. Mm. Mm. Anyway, there's my thoughts on Ginny. Do we All want right. to um, go to Luna or Cho next? Yeah. Because I think we've talked a bit about Cho. Okay, we can go to Cho next. Yeah, and okay. then we'll double back to Luna. The, we don't have, like, a specific order. I think we both just rattled off a list of female characters' names and then put them in the order that we thought of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so Cho... A lot of people would probably have heard of the, or seen the video of the spoken poem called Dear J.K. Rowling from Cho Chang. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't. I wish I had. That would be helpful to me. (laughs) Um, I'll put it in the show notes. There's also um, an article that I'll link to in the show notes discussing the poster of that video, um, what she what she learned about putting up the video, and then a further like video that she put on after that, responding to some of the criticism that she got. But basically, when you th- when I think about Cho Chang, I just I think about a lot of the criticism that has come from uh, POC fans of the series uh, about her naming mm-hmm. and about the way that she was sort of stereotyped, like the old yeah. Asian characters in Ravenclaw, of course, all this sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just of course it would be like that because Rowling is very into stereotypes. <laughs> That's what she loves to do. Yeah. 
she plays into stereotypes where, you know, she's intelligent, she's vulnerable, she's desirable to yeah. the white male character. It's always, the, it's, yeah. the, it's an unfortunate trope of, like, Asian women in, in media, whether it be in novels, movies, of having them be the love interest for a man, but never fulfilled. Like, there's always some kind of tragedy that happens where yeah. the man doesn't return her love, the white man specifically does not return her love, and then she kills herself or some sort of other tragic ending, which is just very, very gross. Yes. Yeah. And that happened. That happened in a children's series which sold over 40 million trillion copies around the world. That was the East Asian representation that was whacked into that series for Cho Chang. Yeah. Yeah. The only East Asian representation. The the name thing is what I keep coming back to. We're like, her name... Cho Chang, like Cho is a surname and Chang is a surname and it doesn't make any sense Mm. and it's stupid and it just sort of, I don't know how to phrase this particularly well, but it sounds like two sort of vaguely Asian sounds, like if you don't know anything about any specific language and you're just trying to come up with an Asian name. Mm. Yeah. I also know, I I don't know if they were ever meant to be pronounced Choi Chang or Cho Chang, like it's never addressed mm-hmm. in the series, and obviously not. And I haven't. I've only seen minimal discourse about it online. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, yeah, basically, it's lazy and it's reductionist, and it's yeah, yeah. not a and big fan. In the year twenty twenty, still haven't learned about being lazy about Asian cultures and Harry Potter. Ah, uh, yes, have not learned. Yeah, but that's a whole other episode, and we've discussed it before. Mm-hmm. So, um. Yeah, and so I guess what I mostly want to talk about with Cho is kind of what I brought up in the Ginny section is that, but I'll get go more into Cho's grief and how it's just completely minimalized. Cho is, mm-hmm. like, she was villainized. I remember this quite clearly, uh, very much in, like, the late 2000s, mid-2000s. Not many people liked Cho. She was easy to pick mm-hmm. on. Like, there was a lot yeah. of internet discourse out there about, like, oh, Cho's just the most annoying character. She's so annoying. She's the worst. It's like... Um, she was a girl who was grieving the death of her first boyfriend, as far as we know, and then Mm -hmm. conflicted over the feelings of, that she was developing for another character. Of course she was crying all the time. She was in mourning. She had no one to talk to that could understand what she was going through. Like, (laughs) it sucks. The only person who could begin to understand who she was talking to was this emotionally stunted 14-year-old boy who couldn't see past his own desire for her. Like, what a terrible situation to be trapped in. He couldn't see her as more than just a pretty girl that he was interested in and didn't want to discuss the fact that they had this shared experience of going through something awful together. Yeah. He really didn't see her as a person. Harry did not think of Cho as a person. He didn't know anything about her other than the fact that she was pretty and she was good at Quidditch. And that was all that he knew about her. And that was all he really cared about her. And when she didn't fall Mm. into that sort of idea of his love interest for him, when she didn't want to talk about how pretty she was or like she when she didn't want to be pretty and play quidditch with him or talk about quidditch he was not interested in her at all he was bored he was agitated he didn't know what to say or do really it's like Mm -hmm. this is really bad like Mm. (laughs) yikes yeah it's not a good depiction i in terms of like my things that i was looking at she's not empowered she doesn't have agency she doesn't have any life out of her romantic relationships with her two love interests Mm. we don't know anything about her she's not treated equally to her male counterparts because she's 
emotional and vulnerable and dismissed and looked down on for those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she doesn't have a good relationship with women because <laughs> yeah, she's very horrible about Hermione. Yeah. Like, it seems like a lot of girls don't necessarily like her, maybe either because she's pretty or popular, or I guess because the female characters mm. that we see that interact with her, which are Hermione and Ginny, like, Ginny doesn't like her because and her friend, she's um, a threat. Marietta. Yeah. Marietta is always framed as a bitch, which is crazy for me. Um, yeah. And Hermione d- just has, like, this analytical view of Cho. Like, of course she's sad about this, but she's not going to do anything about it. She's not going to, like, if she saw Cho, didn't she, like, see Cho crying in the bathroom and, like, didn't do anything about it? Didn't yeah. Didn't be like, oh, you're doing okay? Can I get you anything? <laughs> like, yikes. Yeah. Cool, Hermione. She does that when, like, Harry's, like, she keeps crying all the time and, Her- and Hermione's like, yeah, obviously, because she's mourning Cedric. But, like, Hermione doesn't care. No, she doesn't Hermione doesn't show fuck. any empathy for these things. No. She's just frustrated with Harry for not being able to understand what she can understand but doesn't care about. Yeah, mm. it's pretty yikes. I can sum it up in this uh, this paragraph from this wonderful article written by Diana Lee about the, the Dear J.K. Rowling from um, Cho Chang video that was posted and sort of about what we learned about Cho Chang. Yes, Cho was sad about boyfriend Cedric Diggory's death and confused about her developing feelings for Harry, so she was crying, pensive, and sad most of the time. But J.K. Rowling intentionally set up Cho as weak to make Ginny, Harry's eventual love interest, and a white woman, look stronger. This may not have been intentionally racially charged, but it is important to think about because discrimination and prejudice are oftentimes not only about intentionality. That is the theme that reoccurs in mainstream films and stories. Women of colour appear as minor, brief, undeveloped characters, are set up to the real are set up to the real relationships for the main white characters later in the narrative. And the Mm. more we see it repeated with no alternative portrayals, the more it has the potential to seem natural. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. It's a great summary, but it's sad. That's pretty much what I have to say about Cho. I feel like as a white woman, like, I don't, I like, I don't think I should be saying more about Cho beyond just, I'm so upset for her. Like, you know, I think that she could have been a really great character if she was given the time of day, but she just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's definitely yeah. more like depth and layers to her depiction that we're not seeing through a fully intersectional lens because of our own experience as white women, our own limited experience yeah. as white women. <sighs> yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for Cho. Yeah. Also, on a more practical note, we have been recording for almost an hour now and we've talked about three characters. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's speed through. Let's so, speed through. Um. Let's talk about Luna, and then the others will be quite quick, I think. Yeah, okay. I don't I don't have much to say mm-hmm. on Luna, but what I okay. like think about when I think about Luna is that she's a complete, completely and utterly accepting of herself. I think that's really feminist. Yeah. I think that she advocates for holding fast to your beliefs, and that mm-hmm. um, she's like a weird girl trope, but she's like not... She's not um, sort of made into a joke like she's genuinely nice she cares about her friends and relationships and she's not a pushover yeah so i really enjoy that about luna that's all i really have to say yeah in terms of weird girl trope luna is really not looked down on by the main characters with exception of hermione because of course queen <laughs> rationality hermione can't stand luna can't stand but it's female like... competitors i guess jeez <laughs> <laughs> God. luna's weirdness is 
very much celebrated like by Harry and Ron and Ginny like we love Luna she's weird but she's awesome and it's wrong for other characters to look down on her and dislike her because of her weirdness that's cool In terms of empowerment and agency, I think Luna might be, like, one of the more empowered female characters in the entire series. She Mm -hmm. absolutely acts in her own interest. She does whatever she wants at all times in the face of any and all backlash. Mm -hmm. It's not done in sort of like a rah-rah feminism, I'm standing up for all women kind of way, but more in a, like, she's just totally serene in who she is. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. She has, like, the wisdom of, like, a a wise old sage. Like, she just, Mm -hmm. she knows that to be happy in life, you just have to do what you like in an Epicurean value sort of way. (laughs) And she doesn't, like, push that on anyone else. She's just true vibin. She is the epitome Mm -hmm. of true vibin. Like, (laughs) I adore her. I think she's treated quite fairly by the narrative and by the other characters. People dislike her, but they dislike her because of her weirdness and it doesn't seem at all linked to her femininity Mm. or her identity as a woman. I think if she was a boy and she was also this weird, she might actually be hated a little bit more. People might go a little bit easy on her because she's a weird girl rather than a weird boy. Yeah, yeah, to be honest, I can see that. Because, like, Neville is, like, sort of her foil, I guess. Her male foil. Yeah. And he's, like, They're bullied. both bullied. Like, she gets stuff stolen from her and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She gets called insane. I think that just in general, I think she's treated fairly and she's treated similarly to how a male counterpart would be. I like that Luna... Yeah. ...values other women and desires the companionship of other women she's definitely not like dismissive and unhappy with her relationship with Ginny in favor of her relationship with say harry or ron Mm. in the way that hermione is towards like lavender and pavati in favor of harry and ron yeah yeah so (laughs) i don't know in terms of like feminist representation for luna she's not one who jumps off the page as like a hero for all women but i think when you look at her Mm. She's kind of treated maybe the best, which is I interesting. She's probably the best feminist representation in the series, to be honest. <laughs> like, she doesn't get the recognition for that, but yeah. Yeah. In terms of the younger girls, absolutely. She stands out to me ahead of Hermione because she doesn't have all mm-hmm. this internalized misogyny. No, yeah. I don't know about the adult women. We'll see in later episodes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My next. My next character, characters, I'm putting them together because unfortunately we don't know much about <laughs> So it's Parvati mm-hmm. and Padma. Padma we don't really learn much about it because she's basically just an addition to Parvati, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. So I sort of put them into the same section. Yeah. yeah. As, as is often the thing with twins, she's kind of just like a secondary aspect of her sister. And... Yeah, it's like with Fred and George, where Fred's, like, more outspoken, I guess, but they're basically the same. Yeah. Like, poverty is just the Fred of that situation. Here's the thing. Yeah. If you retold the entire series and Fred and George were one person, they were just Ron's older joking brother, things would be largely the same. They're effectively just yeah. aspects of each other. And um, Padma and yeah. Pavati... Uh, <laughs> how do I say Pavati's name? Okay. Parvati. So this is a good resource, listeners. Yes, I, I keep messing it up. There's a tweet out there by Promo Kosler from uh, her handle is at Promo What Up, and it explains that 
for years, the movies have been mispronouncing Poverty and Padma's name. So, as far as I can tell from the way that it's written out phonetically, it should be Poverty and Padma. Okay. But I could still be wrong. So, I'm going to try... Yeah, I've been trying to pronounce that correctly, and I hope that I'm getting somewhere close, at least. And if we're wrong, please let us know. Oh, please let me know. I love to hear it. Like, I need to know the correct pronunciation. Yeah. So, yeah. Because it's not the sort of thing where we can copy from the movies, because the movies have it wrong, because we won't know unless we're told. Yeah. So, what was I saying? Yeah, so Poverty and Padma are just aspects of each other, effectively. And mm-hmm. Padma, like, literally only exists as a supporting role for Ron because she's his romantic, not romantic interest, but she just exists to be his date at the Yule Ball and she does literally nothing else for the entire series. Yeah. But I do find it interesting that she's kind of got a bit of agency because, like, she shows up to be Ron's date and then Ron doesn't treat her with enough respect and interest, so she leaves and goes and... St- pursues her own interests yeah i like that (laughs) good move yeah (laughs) she's got a lot of confidence for a 14 year old girl (laughs) yeah i I, i'd like to talk about the fact that there's been lots of critique from south asian women about the awful dress robes that the patel twins were put in for the movie yes yeah so in the past because we're dumbass white women um we have commented that we thought the dress robes were very pretty in the movie we're dumb we're sorry Mm -hmm. about that (laughs) i have (laughs) Since learned. Sorry. Yeah. I have since learned. I just thought the colours were cute and they match each other. I'm sorry. I I thought the colours were cute and then I realise I'm wrong. Um, I'm going to put a link in the article to more about why specifically they're wrong. One thing that I noticed that um, should have made, should have clicked in my brain instantly was the fact that they weren't wearing bangles on both of their wrists. Like they had it all on one Mm. wrist for each of them, which was really not cool. So, Yeah. That sucks. Like, the one time that we get to see, like, authentic, or the possibility of authentic South Asian clothing in the, in the movie, and they completely botch it. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Especially when they gave Cho Chang such beautiful robes, which uh, reflected her culture in a nice way as well. And then mm. they just gave Parvati and Padma such awful robes. <laughs> so, yuck. <laughs> Yeah, a lazy, unfortunate yeah. choice. I basically all else that I want to say about poverty and Padma is well, mainly about poverty and her interest in divination. I've seen some commentary on how this is a bit of a stereotype about South Asian cultures, so I'll read out the quote. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know about Let's this. Find the quick link. Okay. So about poverty, her deep interest in divination as a subject, which entails the art of foretelling by reading tea leaves, for instance, can be read as catering to a certain racial stereotype. This is from um, Inside the World of Harry Potter, Critical Essays on the Books and Films, edited by Christopher E. Bell. So yeah, there's just there's a bit of commentary out there about that that I've noticed. I'm not entirely sure how I feel mm-hmm. about it. I, I don't know um, enough about the topic to really make a comment on it, yeah. but I just thought I should bring it up. But yeah, besides mm. from that, I've always I always liked Poverty as a side character. I thought that, like, there's just little moments with her. Like, she always has the confidence in class, I think, to speak up and ask questions about things and to be critical of Umbridge in the initial few chapters of the fifth book. I liked how, um, mm-hmm. I think it was when, in the fourth book, when the foreign schools were arriving and 
McGonagall's like, please take that ridiculous thing out of your hair. And, and we learned that Poverty had accessorized herself with like a nice butterfly in her hair or something. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, let her keep it in. It sounds cute. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we learned that she was. <laughs> God, she can't wear a hair clip. God, private school energy. <laughs> Um, we learn that, like, she has cute, like, gold things in her hair later on, or gold glinting objects in her hair in, like, the fifth book, I think, or maybe it was just a reflection of the light. Mm-hmm. Like, I always just imagine poverty as just having really cute hairstyles, basically, is what I'm saying. And I think that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely have more patience for her than Lavender, which I'm sure we'll get to when we start talking oh, about well, Lavender. I'm ready to talk about Lavender. Um, but she always just seemed... <laughs> But yeah, you continue. Yeah, just brief comments. She always just seemed nice, there with Lavender, dismissed as being silly by Hermione, who is the point of view character that we... <laughs> Hermione, not all girls, Granger. <laughs> dismissed as being silly by Hermione, because that's how Hermione views all women. But like, I think one incredibly humanizing moment that I always saw for her was in sixth book, when Lavender and Ron are dating, and she and Harry start like not developing a friendship but they're like hey hey <laughs> because our the friends are always yeah they face. have an understanding <laughs> uh, like that's one of the moments when she seemed really like a person to me she's like oh suddenly i've got to break away from my role as lavender's friend and now i've got to just be my own person and mm. have this conversation with harry and it yeah it's endearing i like it <laughs> yeah yeah i always liked poverty as mm-hmm. well Alright, I'm ready to talk about Lavender. I just have one sentence here about Lavender. Bad. <laughs> so, Lavender's unfairly demonised. No, I'm saying she's unfairly demonised. Everything that she does to show affection towards a boy who, for all intents and purposes, she believes is genuinely 100% interested in her, mm. is, belittled, is belittled and antagonised. Yeah. I think that, you know, she's hard done by in the series. <laughs> yeah. When I said bad, I didn't mean she was bad. I meant the way that she's treated is bad. <laughs> The story is incredibly dismissive of her. She doesn't have agency. She's not empowered. She's reduced to an object, an object of desire for Ron and an, ob- and an object that's like an obstacle mm. for Hermione and to a lesser degree, Harry. She's seen as being silly. She, she can't see that Ron isn't truly interested in her. She's overbearing. She's too clingy. She's embarrassing in the way that she expresses her emotions. It's just a really cruel treatment of this poor girl who's done nothing wrong i know it's really it's really unflattering and really out of nowhere because before the sixth book lavender was portrayed as just like another classmate who Mm -hmm. was friends with poverty and liked divination and had a rabbit like there was very little else that we knew about lavender and now we see this side of her that's just thrown in there just to be a foil to hermione and like oh look how much better it would be if ron and hermione got together it was just very I thought it was very dog yeah. to do that. <laughs> like, she was, yeah. you know, she was a bit silly. She was a bit emotional, but overall she was just a normal girl. And now suddenly she's like this weird, like, infant with the way yeah. that she's always clinging to Ron and weepy after they break up. And this whole one-one thing that she does, it's like, Gives it's just gold really cringy, really embarrassing. Yeah, it seems, mm. it just seemed a little bit excessive. Like, Yeah. yeah. That's like, this is JK's internalized misogyny shining through. Yeah. I really would have felt like it would have been more interesting, too, if Lavender was actually a potential, an actual potential obstacle towards Ron and Hermione getting together. 
by being a really intriguing love interest for Ron. Like, actually being someone that he is interested in dating beyond yeah. just he wants to learn how to snog. Like, you know, what if she, she is someone that just, like... Yeah, a girl who's willing yeah. to kiss him. What if she is someone who actually gets on Ron's level on more of a social way? Because Hermione is not good at socialising. She's not good at making jokes and being humorous. What if Lavender was that person? Like... Yeah. Exactly. What if Lavender was funny and really interested in sports and, you know, yeah. really wants to spend time with Ron and do things that he likes, whereas Hermione's more stuffy and bookish and mm. unwilling to compromise on things. Like, that could be a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, but no. But instead, she's just she's just a joke. It's yeah. really sad. So that's Lavender. Mm. And so we've got two girls left. I reckon we can do them. And this will just be a long episode, but so will the next one. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Um, (laughs) the next one should be shorter because we don't have to define feminism at the beginning we can launch right into our female characters yeah okay so my next girl I have here is Pansy I thought we finished on Mm -hmm. a high note with Angelina so yeah that's fair with Pansy yeah so something interesting I think about Pansy is I never really thought much about her until again I was listening to this podcast The Women of Harry Potter. I recommend it, guys. Mm-hmm. If you want to listen to it, you can. And one of the oh, it's on my to do list now. Yeah, um, it's there's a few episodes that are free. The rest are Patreon only, so I just listen to the free ones because I was poor at the time. I should really get back on mm-hmm. that. Anyway, um, one of the hosts was commenting on Pansy, and she said, "There by the grace of God go I," and she was talking about how. When she was thinking about Pansy, she just saw someone who was very insecure and didn't get the kind of reinforcement that Mm -hmm. she needed. And I'm like, that's interesting. Because whenever I think of Pansy, I think racist. Like, because she is. She's the one character in the book that says something explicitly Mm -hmm. racist about race, not necessarily about blood purity, that I can think of. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you remember that she says... um, that Angelina's hair looks like worms coming out of her head, which is disgusting. Oh, yikes. No, th- I didn't clock that. Yeah, she makes a racial comment about Angelina's blackness. But, yeah. Yeah, because Angelina has dreads. Right. Yeah, I never yeah. made that connection. Hmm. That's interesting, because then that flies in the face of JK's claim that there is no racism in the wizarding world. It's yeah. all about blood purity, and there's no sexism, no racism, no homophobia. Bullshit. 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 But yeah, this yeah. idea of there by the grace of God go I for Pansy in terms of she's clearly not a mean girl like like we think of the mean girl of like Regina George where she's out to get power. She's clearly a mean girl because you can tell she's a vulnerable girl who feels ugly mm-hmm. because she's constantly described as pug faced. She's constantly described as mm-hmm. ugly and not good enough. Yeah, and the way that she talks about the way that her bullying is targeted is targeted at people that she feels intimidated by. She feels intimidated that Hermione is intelligent and plain but Mm -hmm. still better than her at at school you know she's intimidated by Ginny who gets all the boys and maybe even someone like Blaze would be Mm -hmm. interested in Ginny all this sort of stuff even at the Yule Ball when she wears like a pink frilly dress that's described as looking too girlish on her and all this sort of stuff she's not good enough then when she's trying her best it's just yeah I just I do kind of see that side of her and I'm like that's interesting I just yeah it's again looking at the sort of value of women as only attractiveness and if they're not yeah. attractive then of course they're going to lash out but this is something that's interesting and something that I want to talk about with Pansy uh, Pansy is the only one of our younger women girls oh, yeah, category who I would car- categorize yeah. as villainous she's our one of our evil girls and she is also the only one mm. that we've talked about so far who is judged by her appearance 
Like, far more so than the other mm. girls. Like, Lavender isn't judged by her appearance. Hermione isn't. Yeah. But Pansy is because she's ugly, because she's evil. And there's this weird sort of, like, we've yeah. talked about this before, genetic determinism, bad writing by JK, but all of our villainous characters are ugly and all of our heroic characters are beautiful yeah. or at least plain and unoffensive to the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Yeah. <sighs> Except for Snape, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's a really interesting conversation there, which we just literally don't have time for now. But it's something that I wanted to acknowledge with Pansy. Pansy is judged very, very harshly in this arena that none of the other girls have to compete in at all. In terms of, like, her agency and her empowerment and stuff, I thought that she... Bully. ...doesn't really have much to do. Like, she's there to be the... Not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the bully of Hermione, because obviously girls need to be bullied by girls. <laughs> and also no. kind of like the love interest support role for Draco, even though that's never oh, really yeah. developed. But like, she is literally a pillow for him in the sixth book. <laughs> where she's yeah. He's just lying with his head in her lap and she's stroking his hair like a cat or some shit. <laughs> that was always so wild. Can you imagine behaving that way around your friends? <laughs> yeah, and the line was like... With a look on her face like any girl would be lucky to be in her position as well. Where it's very much talking up the fact that, like, this is Pansy's highlight. This is her best moment. The fact that she can act as a pillow for Draco Malfoy. (laughs) It's sad. Like... She can touch his hair. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. It's just... I don't even have time to talk about that right now. It's so stupid. (laughs) Yeah, so literally an object in that scene. One moment that stands out for me for Pansy is seventh book, final battle, Voldemort delivers his ultimatum of you have to give up Harry Potter and I'll spare you all. And she has that moment where she screams like, he's right there, let's just do it. Would you characterize that as a moment of agency? A moment of looking out for her own interests? I guess it is. I mean, she's a character that's like her primary force that forces all her actions, everything she does is fear. She's fearful that she's not enough and not pretty enough. And this, in this moment, she's fearful for her life. That's why she did yeah. what she did. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Pansy's not a good person. She's a racist. She needs to learn to be a better person. But I do feel sorry for her in that everything that she does is motivated by fear. Mm-hmm. And I have, I've said this before, and I'll say it many times. I have infinitely more patience for children who behave badly mm-hmm. and have bad opinions than I do for adults. The extent to which I'm willing to forgive and give you another chance, it lessens more and more and more as you grow up. By the time you're in your 50s, you should know better than to be a racist. When you're 15, like, you should know better, but it's okay if you don't yet, as long as you get it eventually. (laughs) Some people don't have the, aren't lucky enough to be raised in in an environment which can, like you know, help them realise this earlier. Yeah. So that's definitely the case of Pansy. She's raised in a fucking blood purist environment. But anyway, mm. that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah, um, that's a whole <laughs> much bigger conversation. Yeah. Should we get on to our final girl for this episode? Our final girl, Angelina Johnson. Mm. So once again, she's one of our women of colour, girls of mm-hmm. colour. She's the only black girl at Hogwarts that we know about, basically. There are three black characters at Hogwarts yeah yeah which I will say is like why we're talking about her because you know we could talk about Katie Bell or Alicia Spinnett who have 
a roughly mm. equivalent role in the series, but she stands out because so many characters are white and there's very few characters who are not white. Yeah. Yeah. And I have seen some commentary too on how the way Angelina's blackness is described in the books always feels clumsy and awkward and sort of shoehorned yeah. in to be like, oh yeah, she is tall and black. She's a black girl mm-hmm. in in Gryffindor. It, fe- it feels <laughs> like, like people who have been reading it and commenting about it online have always said that like, it feels uncomfortable to read it. They can tell that the writer was uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's such a shame. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Also, one of the only comments that we get about her race is a racist comment about her hair. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Yeah. What I like about Angelina's character is that she's a leader, but no one mm. questions her leadership. Like, when she's given the role, like, <laughs> not given, when she earns the role of uh, Quidditch captain... There's never, like, and no one ever doubts, like, oh, Angelina shouldn't be captain because of this. Like, there's never that commentary, ever. Yeah. Like, not from anyone, not from the team members, not from people on the opposing team, not from staff members, not from people not involved in the team. Like, Mm -hmm. that's something that I really There's definitely no sense of, like, oh, this should have gone to Fred or George or Harry, the male team members, or even Alicia and Katie, like... Angelina's the one who's the Quidditch captain, and that's great. She'll make a great captain. Like, there's no... Yeah. Yeah. There's no affirmative action in place which got her that job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of her. The only other thing that I want to mention when I'm talking about Angelina is something that I've seen uh, black women talk about when they're talking about their depiction of like female strength and female empowerment in stories is that it's very different for white women and black women oh, yeah. whereas yeah. white women are seen as soft and feminine and vulnerable and it's very empowering to see yourself as strong and powerful and much more masculine whereas mm. the more negative characterization of black women is that they are already very masculine and very strong and blah 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 and it's far more empowering to yeah. be depicted as more soft and more feminine and maybe more beautiful and a little bit more vulnerable than mm-hmm. just being, you know, very powerful and sporty and strong and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's like different standards for what makes a character empowered. And I want to talk about that in terms of, first of all, like Angelina is a jock and she is the Quidditch captain, but she's also the girl that Fred Weasley has a crush on oh. and who goes to the ball with him and, and that's not questioned brother. and it's not like <laughs> she marries his brother. That's a disaster. That's, what the fuck was that? What the fuck? What the fuck was that? That's so weird. That's like if he died and then, then I started dating John. I know. It's so yeah. fucking How insane. repulsive. Like, like it's crazy. It's oh, just crazy it's <laughs> I like when I, I remember first hearing about that, and I've all, that's always bothered me. Like it's just very much fits into mm. the twins are interchangeable trope in Harry Potter, where it's like Poverty and Thunder are the same, and Fred and George are the same. You can just switch them up; yeah. it doesn't matter. And it's just it like that was her date to the Yule Ball. Supposedly, the supposedly they bonded over both having lost Fred and mourning him, and like the idea that Angelina's mourning of Fred is in any way close to George's morning of Fred is crazy because like they maybe dated or just had one date versus twin. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's, it's ludicrous. It's so gross. (laughs) I hate it. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. That's always been like a big yikes. (laughs) That's a big yikes. But that also isn't in the series. That's in the 
bonus mm. material that JK tweets out. Like, yeah, God. Anyway, you were saying about the Yule Ball. <laughs> yeah, I was saying that it's it's good and it's interesting that Angelina can be both things. She can be the leader of the Quidditch team and like a valuable competitor and. Like, Harry, when Harry talks about the chasers, he's always like, they're incredible. He never has any criticism or doubt that the chasers on the team are wonderful and are going to do their role incredibly. Mm. It's always like, if I can just catch the snitch, we'll have enough points because obviously our chasers have earned us enough points. So there's no doubt on her abilities. But it's also good that she can be, you know, this romantic option and she can have this relationship with Fred and there's no weird dynamic where it's like, well, Fred, why don't you like Alicia or... Um, Katie, you know, why yeah. don't you want to date anybody else? Why do you like Angelina? It's like, oh yeah, obviously you like Angelina. She's great. Yeah. Everyone likes Angelina. No one has a problem with her. Even Hermione likes Angelina. Yeah. And that's saying something because Hermione, not like other girls, Granger, <laughs> has a problem with women. <laughs> so <laughs> she's great. Yeah. I, I do love the, there's little things I like about the movies, but I do love in the movies the, um, <laughs> Fred asking Angelina to the Fred ball. Asking I think her that's, out. that's always very cute. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go to the ball with me and the yeah alright like, I like that she does that <laughs> it's good it's kind of similar to what happens there... in the book it's fun yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's right oh hey, Angelina do you want to go to the ball yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that they, they just seem like they're good friends and yeah yeah I like that a lot <laughs> yeah so yeah is that us ending on a high note for this discussion of feminism? I think so. What? But feminism is supposed to be about, like, man-hating and witches and not shaving our armpits. Ah, how are we ending on a positive note? I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> this has been a long episode. It's so long. We've been talking for so oh long. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. Oh, this probably should have been, like, a three or four-parter series, but it's going to be two-parter. Number two. And it's going to end with a bang. I can promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've been Rhea. I've said some stuff. I've got some more to say. See you in next episode. I've been Jem and I love women. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> Better luck next time, Jem. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to support us or get in touch, the links to our social media and Patreon are in the show notes. Please feel free to send us so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.